0: You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan.
1: Okay, hello and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host Kevin Hogan and I'm glad you found us. With me today is David Bob David is president of the Bill of Rights Institute. Established in 1999, the Institute supports secondary school teachers of American history, civics, and social studies. One in four of whom uh, nationwide use BRI curricula in the classroom and participate in professional development programs. BRI's team includes a full-time staff with more than 100 years of combined classroom experience, academic partners, and classroom teachers who serve as co-creators of the curricula. Over its 20 years of nonprofit operation, the Bill of Rights Institute has received funding from more than 15,000 individuals, corporations, and foundations, including more than 4,500 individuals and 50 foundations, 50 foundations pardon me, in just the last two years. So David, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: It's my pleasure, Kevin. Thank you for having me.
1: Let me ask you, where are you, where are you clicking in from?
0: Northern Virginia, the Bill of Rights Institute has our offices here. It's also where I reside. It's uh, just across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C.
1: Well, that makes perfect sense for the Bill of Rights Institute, right?
0: (laughs) Yes, it's a it's a great place to be, especially when we bring students and teachers here during the summer months uh, pre covid, uh, when people were able to be here in the in the district, seeing seeing the, the beautiful monuments, memorials, and and really digging deep into our, into our nation's history.
1: Yeah, that's the time that I like to call BP, before the pandemic, right? When we could be out and about <laughs> with folks. Um, talk a little bit about, um, I guess, well, let's, let's not bury the lead. Um, first heard about the Institute just a few weeks ago with a, some announcement of new materials uh, that you folks have launched. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yes, and boy, don't we all look forward to AP after the pandemic. Yes. You know, it's, it's uh, been really a, a pleasure to, to launch a product into the marketplace despite the, the, the tremendous obstacles that teachers and, and students are facing nationwide. What we see is incredible entrepreneurship on behalf of educators. The Bill of Rights Institute uh, had a project three years in the making Along with our technology partner, OpenStax, out of Rice University. The product that we launched in July is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness A History of the American Experiment. And it's a digital textbook. It's an e resource, a, a, a digital resource that has viewpoint diversity, a mode of inquiry at the heart of it, and it's really the first free to the end user, to the students and teachers, uh, comprehensive U.S. history that's written with alignment to the college board's AP, Advanced Placement U.S. History Standards. And it's received a great welcome from a community of educators that we have the privilege and, and, and pleasure of, of supporting all across the country.
1: So um, I would put this under the category of an open education resource, right, in OER?
0: It's absolutely that. And, you know, everything that the Bill of Rights Institute publishes is done uh, under that uh, under that banner. Uh, We make about uh, really 3000 different materials, lesson plans, uh, videos, uh, the the kind of um, uh, stock and trade of, of educators. And as you probably know, for for a teacher of high school students, there's a wide degree of latitude that they have. And so they're really curatorial. In, in how they teach they're pulling from, uh, YouTube, they're pulling from, uh, resources that, that, that we make available to them. And oftentimes what they do is set aside that, uh, textbook, particularly in COVID, of course, nobody's touching any, any physical textbooks anywhere, really, but what you're able to do even pre-COVID, and I think, uh, very much will be a trend in the future is that teachers are looking to OER to help really close the gaps that exist. You know, if you're a school district and you wanna offer an advanced placement class, you have to come up with usually $200 per student. And that's a heavy lift at any time, but during COVID, it's just an impossibility. So we really see that that through the philanthropic generosity of our our supporters and a great uh, technology platform that has been uh, long in the making by OpenStax out of Rice University we're able to provide something that really can be a, a best-in-class resource for those teachers that are uh, that are looking for for just the right thing to meet their kids' needs.
1: Right, right. So OER has been a thing, um, at least as as far as I can recall. You know, for for a number of years now, um, I wouldn't call it a phenomenon. I'd call it a, a a trend that really maybe forward-thinking, innovative educators had a handle on. Um, but that a majority of educators, especially when you're looking at like in a, in a public school district uh, setup, uh, usually at the beginning of the year, they're like, well, give me the give me the curriculum, you know, from whatever the big three uh, uh, curriculum provider was. And I, I'm, I'm going to follow along with this. Um, I think about it like with with science where you have the opportunity to go up to nasa.org and have all this material <laughs> but but, a, but you know a, a teacher you know would just kind of rely upon what what they're handed to them i th- you know with the uh with the pandemic in hand and with teachers at home at their kitchen tables i think the um the need and the awareness of oer uh, accelerated can can you confirm that? I mean, did you find a difference in uh, the number of uh, educators who are accessing your content?
0: You know, we did. We had seen the trend accelerate uh, considerably even prior to COVID. So for example, the, the page views, uh, we measure really our commitment from teachers because they're not purchasing materials in terms of the time that they give us. And one uh, way that we can look at that is is through their their, their page views. That had uh, nearly doubled uh, year over year, even prior to uh, COVID. Uh, students' reliance on YouTube is 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 considerable, and that we've seen a, a a doubling during the during the pandemic. But in terms of your point about OER, I think it's really interesting because at the high school level, which is a little different than you know an elementary uh, grade teacher who does largely rely and and, and really has to focus on the materials that are given them and, and, and funded by uh, taxpayer dollars. But at the high school level, Newsela discovered in October of 2019. And we've seen that in our own business model at uh, the Bill of Rights Institute. When you ask administrators, they'll tell you that they think that high school social studies teachers are spending about half their time uh, working from the, the textbook that they're handed when you talk to teachers. They, they report that it's really one out of five days that they, that they rely on that textbook. So I think that OER is something that preceded COVID in a big way, and that kind of revolution, which has gained steam you know, at, the, at the college ranks, the, the rap always against OER resources is, well, they're just inferior. You know, It's just anybody can slap, slap together something, uh, put a title on it and throw it, throw it out for, for, for internet consumption. And I think we're seeing a, a, a dramatic shift here where the providers of these materials are really turning out excellent resources.
1: Well, and you also have the fact that uh, hopefully d- during this, that um, the idea of digital literacy and the, the responsibilities that, uh, that are going to come to students to make their own decision about the legitimacy of the information they're being presented, right? I mean, that's, that was a whole knock against Wikipedia, that you couldn't use Wikipedia because you couldn't trust the sources. And I was always like, scroll to the bottom, the sources are there. And then you can kind of create your own uh, feeling of where this stuff uh, sits on your own personal spectrum.
0: Totally agree, Kevin. I think that's the key, right? You want student ownership of these ideas, whatever subject area they're studying. And for us in civics, you know, that kind of literacy, that that ability to sift through content. And that's really why we've put at the heart of this resource viewpoint diversity. So you know how, in a typical textbook, let's say a, a history book, you you kind of get the 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 omniscient viewpoint. Uh, it, it seems like the book knows all the answers, and a kid is often left wondering, well, what's left for me to do? Just memorize the facts and dates. It's really boring. And so a smart kid can do that, get a five on the on the AP exam and hope they never have to take another history uh, course again. We want to change that dynamic, make make the questions the heart of the the thing. And so what we did is we hired uh, hundred academics and we required them, which wasn't always easy. Uh, we found those that could really write in a jargon free prose. They wrote at a level though, that did not talk down to students. It engaged them. It gave them point counterpoint. So, you know, wrestling with some of the things that America is reckoning with right now is the constitution of the United States, a pro-slavery document. Well, have, a, have a, a yes and a no, and, and, and let the student then see their byline and they can test out, well, what kind of uh, biases do those uh, a faculty bring? What kind of credentials do they have? From what perspective are they writing? And what you begin to do then is when you have 450 of those kind of components, you get a big old dialogue going and the student feels like they're a part of that conversation. And in so doing, you really create the kind of uh, critical thinking skills that really matter.
1: Go in a little a little deeper on that. So, um, you know, over the course of a of a semester, how is your content being consumed? I mean, is it in a, a traditional way, um, or is it? Uh, are there synchronous components to it? Are there asynchronous asynchronous components to it? Talk a little bit more in depth about how the, the, the content is
0: structured. The platform on which the Bill of Rights Institute content sits was created by OpenStax, a 20-year-old nonprofit that, that resides within Rice University. Uh, Rich Baranak, the, the founder of OpenStax, uh, has an uh, incredible team. And, and what they have done is uh, through machine learning, adaptive uh, technology created the tutor learning management system. So, what we're drilling is really giving a teacher a tool that they can rely on. Uh, so we're not we're not the, the the direct teacher. We're empowering the teacher. So in that sense, uh, what they'll often do is is uh, have a flipped classroom. They'll ask the students to encounter this this content online uh, at home, and then perhaps when they're convening uh, synchronously, they're having those conversations and saying, Uh, you did the reading last night you had the point counterpoint you were wrestling with the primary source document maybe there was a political cartoon there was a narrative all of these things are arrayed on a calendar function Uh, the 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 students can can go in there and one really great feature of the product is that it has personalized learning that that really is is uh, putting the teacher in charge Uh, personalized learning i know uh, um, your listeners will be very familiar it's one of those kind of amorphous terms what we mean by it is that there are 2,600 questions, and a student right after they do the reading is going to be met with these questions so that they can reinforce the knowledge gains that they have, and they can can, uh, help their their, their brains really retain the information uh, that that, that really is worth retaining. And so these are adaptive in the sense that if they're struggling in a particular area, uh, more questions can be fed to that student. But it's not just turning the student loose on that and saying, we'll see you, you know, in a week, because the teacher is very much uh, in control, they can add their own question banks, they can look at the performance feedback then of the student and of their classes as a whole and see at a glance in real time, uh, this student is really struggling to understand uh, this aspect of the, the Constitution or this era of history. Uh, and, and in so doing, then be able to, to adapt the way that they are modeling, they are doing their lectures, their presentations, and the other components that they want to see a part of the course. Hmm.
1: Now, you mentioned earlier that um, the um, the platform and the content is aligned to the uh, the AP standards. Um, it's just another kind of mind blowing disruption um, to the education system. You know, one of one of several dozen is the idea of the tr- traditional idea of assessments and, and, and the, I have a junior in high school who's getting ready to go into his AP classes and SATs and ACTs and there's the question of, is it even gonna count? Um, talk a little bit about uh, the assessment techniques um, that I'll assume you have uh, baked into the, the, the into this stuff.
0: Yes, you know, the, the kind of assessment really is not uh, preparing the student um, Uh, uh, for any one thing. So while it is aligned to the advanced placement uh, framework, it is suitable for use. And we have lots of our teachers who have have, already adopted this resource that are not using AP. Uh, Dual enrollment is another area that I think we're going to see tremendous growth in. We know that a lot of our teachers are working in conjunction with community colleges. Students are earning college credit. So anything under the sun is, 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 uh, is, is doable. One thing that we have done though, for those students who are reading for the AP exam and we did this all throughout covid is we hosted webinars and we'd have uh you know 100 or 200 kids show up they'd work through a master teacher and they were doing a comprehensive review and for every student that showed up th- these are students at the high school level again we had another 10 that watched that uh uh kind of um review session uh asynchronously so we were helping 2000 students uh 30,000 total views for for kind of a a, a second year of a of a pilot program, and what I'm really excited about with this resource is imagine a kind of tutoring platform, where if you don't have the means, and so many families today do not, to to, to get their uh, 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 child in a Kaplan or Princeton Review, well, we I think there's really a a, a, a service that can be provided, and and you know it, it's it's not just for those who have means. I think that. That, that, that need review and need help. And what if we could provide that kind of thing? That's the kind of thing that ignites my team, that really ignites us at the Bill of Rights Institute, that we can meet the needs of of, of kids because the College Board did not cancel their exams during, uh, during COVID. And that's a stressful thing. We want to de-stress it for all students and really make that learning process about the learning and not just about achieving a number. Because after all, that's what education should be about is the maturation and the finding of fulfillment and learning uh, by every young person.
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's a huge aspect of the digital equity conundrum that, that you're addressing there, that um, it shouldn't be a radical thing to say that, especially considering the subject matter that, that you focus on, that this information should be free and easily accessible to,
0: to everyone without a cost, Right. I believe so. You know, I think that it's something that that, uh, uh, thankfully, philanthropies, uh, individual investors are, are starting to see this. I, I think for too long, we've, we've, uh, we've made uh, the, 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 the cost of textbooks way too much. You know, if you're a community college student, you might pay a quarter as much for your textbook as you do for the entire class and we're a nation right now with some 40 million nearly, nearly 40 million of our of fellow citizens have taken a college class or two and not finished that degree and i think that kind of alienation that comes that feeling that the system has let you down uh is 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 one that we really have to take seriously and and i think that that closing those gaps and and meeting the needs of of families uh, all across the country is 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 our mission and supporting teachers you know we've we've celebrated uh throughout this this uh awful pandemic the work of frontline uh uh, workers and i think teachers really need to be uh much more recognized for what they're doing uh and and how difficult it is to to try to engage young people and what i've seen is that teachers are oftentimes more entrepreneurial than the systems they're in and by that i mean that they have been more willing to do things and to go beyond and, and use technology and train themselves up on technology, you know, so many of our teachers are incredibly tech savvy, and they know how to deploy the things that are really going to meet the needs of their kids. And they know who those individual souls are, and they care about them. And those are the people that can really be best deployed. We think so. That's why we're a direct to teacher provider. Uh, we 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 go directly to teachers and have been able to assemble a, a really large group of of teachers by word of mouth and, and just meeting their needs where they're at. Well, talk a little bit about, I mean, especially
1: as, as we sit here um, on October 1st, uh, a, a month or so away from uh, a, an election and the, you know, the, the back and forth when it goes to the idea of uh, digital literacy and establishing what is, quote, fake news. We don't, what is it, what is, what is right? What is wrong? Where it is? I mean, Somehow, you, you, the Bill of Rights is and the Constitution are somehow a controversial subject right now. I don't know if that's just something else out of twenty twenty, but I mean that that's where it is. How are you able to navigate um, this sort of material in a current political environment like, like that we are?
0: Teach the controversy. We empower teachers to go into their classrooms wherever their learners might be uh, and tackle those toughest of subjects. So for example, let's say you want to take up immigration. Our teachers regularly tell us that that among all the hot button issues is the toughest one, because you can imagine that throughout most of the United States, you might have a dreamer in your classroom and you might have uh, kids for whom the idea of building a a higher, bigger wall is, is what they and their parents want to do. Well, if you're a teacher, you can face very quickly a kind of problem where your building principal, your superintendent, and some of the parents in your community might not want you to go there, might not want you to touch that third rail. And what we're trying to say is we need to do that. You know, so a teacher might take that debate that was just held and say, let's go to the Lincoln Douglas debates and show a time in our nation's history when we were even more polarized and look at the kind of two hour long, oftentimes done in front of 15,000 people live, the kind of debate that was held the kind of deliberation that emerged from that. And I'm not saying that they're all halcyon days in America's past because we, we teach the fullness of the challenges that America has faced and we teach the promise. And ultimately I think civics is asking ki- uh, kids, inviting uh, young people to, to take up the challenge of fulfilling the promise of the Declaration of Independence that all people will know freedom and all people will know equality. And that's a big task, but, you know, what the great thing about working with educators is that's where they're at. They want to talk about these things, but they want to do more than just the horse race. They really want to get young people and community members thinking in a way that cultivates those skills of deliberation. And that's where the the, the kind of civil discourse work that we need. If we don't invest in that as a nation, and I'm not talking just about financial resources, if we don't really decide as a as a, as a people that we want to become more civil in our debate because we're not going to get rid of disagreement in a nation of 330 million people. We're going to manage it or we're, or we're going to be managed by it. And right now we need to get our arms around it and say, we need to figure out a better way a, to disagree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to the, to the technology a little bit. Uh, with the new remote settings uh, or hybrid settings that you find most schools in right now, uh, did you have to uh, pivot at all in terms of the uh, way you delivered your content? I mean, was it kind of classroom centric before, or were you just kind of already ahead of the curve where I mean, it sounded like it was it was pretty decentralized to begin with?
0: Yes, in terms of our digital content, because it was all digital, we will we were well above uh, or, or in front of the curve. I'd say the, uh, the, the thing that we did have to uh, change up some is that we do a lot of professional development, which is the opportunity for teachers to earn continuing education units. Uh, so every year we'll do that for usually more than a thousand teachers in person. Uh, we were able very quickly, however, to be able to offer all of those programs that normally would happen, you know, 50 teachers at a time in, in uh, Dallas or Boston or Los Angeles uh, for those to be offered digitally. And what we found is that there's ways to get beyond kind of the zoom exhaustion. Uh, and, and that's really been an interesting experiment, uh, uh, kind of experimental model where, whereby you can empower teachers to be really involved. You know, what we look at our, our, our goal is that teachers are co-creators with us of this content. So it's never a stand and deliver kind of model. It's really what can we do to build out professional learning communities all across the United States and in ways that are gonna be interesting cross pollinations uh, for, for teachers with different affinities, uh, different uh, perspectives, those that really wanna drill down in a particular area. That's what we're building out in our regional model. And we look forward to the time when we can go back into, into places and where public health is allowed, we, we have done so, but, but mainly we're conducting the professional development programs now online.
1: Got it. Well, and then you also mentioned earlier the opportunity to put together webinars um, where you have hundreds of uh, thousands of kids who are witnessing yes. and you could probably get some um, – I think that's been one positive, too, that's come out is the ability of getting maybe, say, a, a legal scholar, right, or a, a, mm-hmm. a top professor who would uh, – much more convenient for them to do a Zoom chat for 15 minutes than actually travel to you know, to be in person – uh, and charge ten grand for an event.
0: <laughs> totally, and you know, it's we had four hours of live programming on uh, YouTube on uh, Constitution Day, which is September seventeenth. Uh, so we had guests including the uh, the the chairman of JetBlue Airways, uh, who talked about the importance of trust. We had uh, Danielle Allen, a Harvard political theorist, who talked about the role of equality, uh, and and talked about how the Declaration and Constitution really are related. And then we had Uh, you know, a lot of teachers that use that programming uh, where they could uh, kind of flip the screen over to their students and let the students engage with what parts of that four hours they wanted. So I think the key thing is that there's just a lot of great uh, fermentation going on. And it's a very exciting time in that respect where you can have more um, leveraged opportunities with, with guests that you might not otherwise be able to bring right into your classroom. It's also a time, I think, where we have to be very careful about uh, student voice because uh, right now students are hurting in ways I think that it's that it's very hard sometimes for adults to discern. Uh, and I'll go back to your your your, your previous um, uh, question, Kevin, about you know civil discourse and how do you teach during a during a, a hotly contested election? Uh, one uh, uh, student in high school said to me about a year ago, it really stuck with me. They said. Uh, you know I'm worried that that if I disagree with my friends, they won't be my friends anymore, and I think what we need to convey to them is it's important that you speak and that they not just be in listen mode on the receiving end put your put your video on so I can make sure that you're you're paying attention. Well, the best way to get them to pay attention is by letting them be a part of the conversation in a Socratic mode and so to that end, we're um in receipt of a of a of a series of grants that are going to help us empower teachers to become uh, facilitators of Socratic discussion and really giving uh, rise to, to more student voice and student agency over the course of a high school student's career. That's an interesting aspect.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you this um, as, as we wrap up what's next. So the, the this project is out. I assume it, it continues to be tended to, um, but what's next on the plate for, for the Institute?
0: We'd love uh, any of your listeners to, to, to jump in and, and uh, give us their thoughts on the resource, uh, mybri.org is where they can find out uh, about all of our resources. Uh, we have Think the Vote that's going through the election and, and beyond, it's an evergreen website for young people where they can debate these issues, but do it in a civil way, weigh in and learn about uh, uh, what's at stake in, in this and, and uh, other elections in the future. Beyond that, we're looking forward to doing a, a government and politics resource that really gives uh, uh, students uh, the, 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 the way that, that, not just the sausage is made or how they could fit in kind of in the in, 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 uh, Washington DC kind of political machine, but a, a keen insight into how government works and why it's often not working very well. And so we're just in the ideational stage on how we could incorporate much more video in that uh, that resource, which will again align to the College Board uh, framework, but allow us to to make it available to non-AP classes as well. Well,
1: that sounds great. Sounds like you're certainly busy.
0: <laughs> There's no shortage. It's it's a it's a great time uh, because I think more Americans are awakening to the need of civic education. They see it as something that that right now goes to a very existential uh, place, and and uh, I think I think they're right. We really need to to serve. Uh, and, and, and we do a, a disservice to our students if, 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 we're not, uh, not giving them something that they can really uh, sink their teeth into.
1: Yeah. And especially in, in, with a topic like civics and as myself, as a parent, uh, with three beta testers <laughs> that were here in the spring, um, <laughs> yes. I relearned a lot of stuff that I, I didn't, re- didn't recall from, from high school. And I think parents are much more involved in the learning process as ever before and, uh, Maybe everybody can go read the Bill Bo- of Rights again.
0: <laughs> that's that's a great uh, thing that is happening, where parents are are awakening to uh, just you know how do you pack into a, 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 a child's life the kind of learning that really inspires wonder. I hope that those conversations really continue and that we can build out some some even better bridges between parents, teachers, and and ultimately the the the, the, the young people that that we all are seeking to. To propel into the into the future. Well, as always, David, uh, you know these podcasts, if nothing else, are
1: really uh, great therapy for me. I feel very hopeful <laughs> after having a, a conversation such as this one, and I'm certainly going to um, turn my kids onto your site. And um, I have some some notes to put down here about open education resources and the importance of free content to. Uh, close the digital equity gap. So thank you so much for your time uh, and your, your insights. I really appreciate it. Thank
0: you, Kevin. Appreciate it much.
1: And thank you to the listener for uh, tuning into this episode of Remote Possibilities. I hope you click, click around and find another one soon.